Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The Science of Pokemon. I'm your host, veteran Lucas, and with me today is my friend and yours, Professor Collins. How was your 4th of July, Professor? Uh, it was just as great as the other holiday we have, the 1st of July. They were both enthralling. Oh right, Canada Day. Yeah, you celebrate that. We're, yeah. I'm too far from Canada to care about that holiday, but I didn't do No, you know, we've been busy uh, doing, doing lots of remodeling and, and work. Uh, outside, so it's been very busy. I've been busy indulging myself in freedom and democracy, and by freedom and democracy, I mean ribs and more ribs. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a heart that attack. That sounds like America. Um, so, speaking of America, um, this whole month we are going to be talking about an entire country. We're going to be talking about a place where it all began. We're going to talk about Japan. So this, a magical land where underwear can be bought in vending machines. You see, that's the kind of thing I want to try and avoid in this episode. In this episode, we're going to avoid the pop culture, the folklore, the myth, the legend, and we are going to discuss some of the actual Japanese wildlife that's made its way into the game and the things that they share with their real-world counterpart. But we're not going to talk about, like, you know, the cats that, like, drive the bullet train, because that's, like, Okay, awesome. so you can do that on the next episode. That's your folklore, your yokai nonsense. Today, <laughs> we're going to talk about the real animals that make this a real country and the real nature that they strive to protect in it. Sound good? Let's get right down to it. <laughs> Cue the music. <laughs> Alrighty, so to get started, um, considering most of these games center around Japan, I think it is fitting to talk about like something most people don't talk about, the actual country, the actual land that it's built on, because we focus so much on the pop culture and some of the other things that Japan gives us. So I think let's start with saying that Japan is what's known as an archipelago. It's a series of islands that is over 7,000 individual islands all put together to make up this nation. Four big ones being up and correct me on my uh, my, on my grammar here onshu hokkaido kurushu and shikoku did i get those right uh it's kyushu kyushu thank you kyushu that's it i, 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 mean, I, don't, I don't speak japanese but that sounds that that sounds right to me hey you have more japanese friends than i do that's all i'm saying i do, I do have too many <laughs> so um despite um all the volcanoes that japan is surrounded by and does have with them and all the earthquakes and everything um the islands were not made like hawaii they were not made by volcanic eruption instead they are surrounded by tectonic plates that pushed away from russia and korea to form their own island this was millions and millions of years ago now, because of that, it's pretty much like a piece of the continent just drifted away. So, unlike other islands, it has very similar flora and fauna, plants and animals, to what you would find on the mainland. Uh, the majority of um, Japan is going to be mountains and forested areas. Uh, to the north, in Hokkaido, you're going to get your typical Scandinavian region climate. You're going to have freezing winters, you're going to have wet summers, you're going to have your typical snowy country area but once you get down to the south you start getting to subtropical like florida so this is where you get your rainy seasons this is where you get your typhoons this is where you get your sunshine rainbows and beach episodes of anime and in the, and the agriculture too is, is is vastly diverse you have i mean you have everything from what you would consider like you know greek 
where where everything is mountainous and rocky and clay and things cannot be grown which is why so much of, of, of the diet relies on on the the ocean and and rice because that is easier uh, mm-hmm. to where you know you have your tropic where where you know you are able to grow some fruit and 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 vegetables uh and it's why like you look at a big stable the diet it's it's things that can withstand uh very harsh conditions you know root vegetables can take a beating pretty well so you know you oh, see yeah. a lot of turnips and, and that that can handle the the really infertile ground whereas if you were to try to grow something you know like uh like cauliflower or uh cabbage you know it, it yeah, would be the- very hard yeah and that's one of the cool things about the culture and how they adapted and feeding on this diet it's not as much of a meat focused diet as us because of this region although like you said seafood is a huge part of it the sea of japan has such high levels of dissolved oxygen meaning that it can actually use all of that to provide sustenance for all kinds of marine life so you have everything from seals and sea lions to whales crustaceans all kinds of fish plankton microorganisms Uh, This whole environment is so rich in nutrients that no wonder the Japanese focused mostly their entire protein diet on seafood. Well, it's why it's why they have longer, you know, life expectancy too. It's why they, you know, have better health outcomes. I mean, besides the fact that that we have terrible health care here in America. Sorry, but (coughs) sorry, I lost a tooth. What were you saying? Yeah, exactly. I lost a tooth and I can't afford to fix it. Um, Bummer. But no, you know, in general, you know, the the diet there. Um, it is a healthier thing, and and it's also it, it ties into um, to growth and height too. So you look at the countries where there is a lot of red meat consumed, and that is why you see uh, people getting taller than humans have ever existed. You know, you look at basketball players. Well, where are they the tallest? Oh, well, from America because we eat such large, vast quantities of red meat. Whereas Japan and a lot of other Asian countries, which you would, you know stereotypical short, but that comes from the diet. Is the type of proteins actually interacts with with the growth hormones and it causes uh you know different rates of height and it's why you're seeing now japanese and chinese uh, cultures you're starting to see people who are getting taller because as they are starting to consume more of american diets um which i i really implore them not to but as they are <laughs> they, they are getting taller you know the the diet does directly influence how the body grows yeah, so um, the one thing I will specify, we talked about this in one of our earliest episodes. When it comes to islands, occasionally you do get some weird evolutionary stuff coming out of it. You'll notice in our list today, you will get some giant animals put there. And that's because these animals are in an area where they're really not competing against anything and nothing's really trying to stop them. And so a few examples of the animals we'll find in Japan are things like the giant and Japanese hornet, giant salamander, uh, the macaques, the brown bears, tanukis. These are animals that are a little bit larger than most people would expect. And we will talk a good chunk about several of those animals I mentioned. Uh, first, we should probably um, address one misconception about Japan. Um, a lot of times I hear people talk about how bad America is environmentally, and rightfully so, we've made our mistakes and we push through them as a nation to try and make things better. That's what we do. Um, in Japan, they do have a lot of tested forested regions and they used to practice um, much more widely Shintoism the idea that nature is home to spirits and nature is to be protected but after 
many economic classes after World War II. World War II was the big changer. Yeah, World War II was the really big one. Uh, but even before that, when they had to modernize within a 10-year period, they started losing a lot of these things. And it's gotten to the point now where much of the nature and much of the pollution in Japan is pretty extensive. The idea of well, can, um, recycling. Um, oh yeah, go on. You can you can look at. So I I think of a, a great example of someone who lived through this as Hayao Miyazaki. And you, you can look at the you know works Pompoko or uh, Princess Mononoke. You know the 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 conflict um, of this old way of thinking of ref, you know the the respect towards nature versus modernization and you're right the industrial revolution and iron push in japan you know it, it really it really is this this uh it's a struggle and uh what's the other one um up on poppy hills the other good one. Oh yes yeah and and this is a real conflict for a culture that that has very rigid adherence to uh, respect of tradition at the same time as modernization happens you know there's also this uh, lackeys way of, of feeling towards new customs and new ideas um, and so it, it's it's definitely a great example where as America kind of goes head in on every every new revolution uh, technologically and industrially uh, Japan, I think, is a very good example of somewhere where there is a continuous conflict between these two forces, and and I really I look forward to it. You know, we've we've joked about Gen Eight, but if the rumors are true, you know, Gen Eight is going to focus a lot on this conflict, and I really hope so because I think this is a very important point that Japan is currently really struggling with. Yeah, it doesn't help when you realize that. When you burn two-thirds of the trash, Japan is the third largest producer of a global CO2. And I didn't even mention the whaling ships. Yeah, because when every other country signs a whaling treaty and you build a new whaling ship and brag about it, there's usually something a bit off. Their treatment of the ocean has become one of the biggest jokes whenever I work at the aquarium of just like, oh, well, at least we're not the Japanese. And everyone laughs because everybody gets the joke, which is a little depressing. Well, and it's and it, and it, and it's almost, I mean, yeah, we think of uh, Fukushima and, and, uh, and such, but, you know, it, it is it is scary because you, you think about what adverse health risks are there going to be for this current generation of Japanese youth mm -hmm. as this has happened. I mean, you're right uh, that that this has been a long thing, but I, I would argue that the real Japanese modernization that, that created the current Japan came out of the 1970s and 1980s as open trade existed between our country and, and Japan, because uh, that really pushed all of Japanese tech industry um, to the forefront. And, and you know, th that is when you see this whole modern push where a lot of the damage has been done. But again, it's not all doom and gloom. I never like to end on doom and gloom. No. Uh, Japan, yeah, Japan has actually one of the largest um, protected forested areas per geographical size of any other country. They protect large swaths of their forests to make sure that they're safe and protected. Hunting is way more regulated than it is here in the States or in other countries. So is it. They have their... 
Yeah, they have their issues, but I do love talking about this place because, again, with Japan being a pop cultural icon, sometimes you forget about the other parts about it, the natural beauty, the same way American pop culture with our Hollywood and our Michael Bay and our all this. I mean, not, not to go back to him, but even, you know, the, 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 the Miyazaki theme park that they've been working on for years. I mean, the original proposal that, that Hayao Miyazaki wanted was it was just going to be like a naturalist park. Like that was the whole thing. He wanted this giant naturalist theme park. And I know they've pushed it to change the idea a bit, but like that really, I think that says um, volumes about the culture. Yeah. You know, we, we look at we look at China and, you know, Shanghai, Disney and and uh, God, what's the other one they have? Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, they have a couple of Disney's over there. And and. You look at that, and those are just massive expansions. And, and Japan's now going like, well, you know what? Maybe we need to to dial it down a little bit. And, and again, if you guys want to learn more about some of the Miyazaki stuff, Wisecrack, uh, the YouTube channel, posted a phenomenal video on his philosophy. So definitely check that out after you're done listening to us. No, yeah, and we, you know, and honestly, if you want to learn uh, about Japan, honestly, the best thing, you know, if you, especially if you're like me and you grew up in a very uh, uh, whitewashed town uh you know go to college somewhere where where there is a high international population go meet people travel to japan if you can afford it i mean it's very expensive and it's a very long flight uh but you know we do recommend it it's a very very lovely country it really is loved it when i went it was great and, and the fact that some of the architecture has been around for centuries is it's baffling to to Americans at times because we look at our, our architecture and it's only been here a couple hundred years, but when you see something that has been that has withstood thousands of years, I mean it's a totally different debate. Yeah, it's humbling to meet a building that's older than your nation. Just saying. Yeah, it's, it truly is. I think I think that's the point that we should make here is that the, the respect here that 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 we have i mean because if you haven't caught on from us we are both very much scientists that you know we can respect something but still critique it at the same time of course and speaking of critiquing let's go ahead and get some pokemon yes okie dokie so let's get started with the most japanese animal that i could possibly think of the tanuki or you might be familiar with it as zigzagoon so to me as an American Cuban I was growing up, Zigzagoon was, oh, it's a raccoon, because what else could it be? Uh, but then you learn about Japanese culture and you find out about the Tanuki. Now I want you all to pay attention to this. Right now, I want you all to thank me, because looking up information about the Tanuki that's about the actual animal is exhausting. Because everything about it is about either an anime, folklore, the yokai or the weird stuff they do in the folklore and yokai and anime it is ridiculously difficult to find any real hard information about this raccoon dog i i'm so tired it has what was that it has a big scrotum oh my god no we're yes, not gonna yes, we're gonna yes no that's 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 the that's the myth lore the uh the, the i mean literally if, if you type it into google images tanuki the the like eighth image is is a picture and you go oh what is that thing coming out of it oh those are those are the depictions of its testicles yep that is definitely it and we could totally say that because we're saying it on a scientific basis no we really yeah. are is that is that literally if you look up tanuki like the the mythology behind it is 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 very uh I don't want to say bizarre because I don't want to be the type of podcast because I know there are Pokemon podcasts that criticize other cultures and that is not 
Uh, that is not, uh, I think it's disparaging and damaging to our understanding and appreciation of other cultures to do that. Uh, but it's, I always say from our cultural lens, it seems strange. It, 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 it may. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very unique. I, I don't think we have anything that of that in, uh, Western, uh, mythos canon. Yeah. So a, a little bit about the animal, sorry, a little bit about the animal itself. Um, so it is part of the only living member left of a genus Nycteritus, and it lives throughout Asia. It was brought to Europe for the fur industry, but it's mainly found in Asia and in Japan. Now, if you're having trouble imagining it, it does look very much like a raccoon, but its legs are like the body of a beagle or another small dog. It's a very tall legs. It's a lot fluffier, and they do exactly what you'd expect from a raccoon dog. Um, they are scavengers. They feed and hide. They look for their food as best they can. Uh, they will steal from garbage cans. They will steal from humans, just as any other scavenger would. Um, one of the things um, I do love about this animal, though, is that you don't actually see them a lot in zoos. It's not that you can't keep them. In fact, one of the only zoos in the world that has this animal is in Atlanta, Georgia. It's, uh, zoo Atlanta actually has a couple of specimens of this. Um, they do give this animal the pickup ability in the game. I was say, and talk it fits in with its scavenging. Yeah, it's got pickup, it scavenges, it's super curious, and they lean into that myth just a bit. We'll cover a bit more about the new guinea myth next week, I promise. This animal has a super large significance to the folklore. I honestly, as an animal biologist, I wish they had added more natural stuff about this animal. I mean, I get it, it's more for the folklore, but for me, I love studying the animal itself that it's based on. Alright, so next up is uh, Quagsire. Now, this delightful goofy goober from Gen 2 is based on the Japanese giant salamander, one of the last giant amphibians, and it is around 5 feet long. It is this massive, slimy creature that is found in fast-flowing cold rivers, and one of the things I, I find this is weird of the rest of the world, whenever you see an animal and you has a certain looks to it, people automatically call it dumb. And that's what happens in the Pokemon games. People looked at um, this salamander and said, oh, look at it, it's bumping into boats and stuff. It must be this horrifyingly stupid animal. But really, the one thing that it is, it's the, the one myth they add is like, oh, it's super chill. Quagsire doesn't care. Yeah, have you ever watched a show called River Monsters? Yeah. Yeah, that guy catches one in Japan, and it does not stop trying to bite his hand off. It did not like uh, being picked up. Uh, the whole bumping into things is just it's just that it's a myth it's very unlikely because they can feel vibrations in the water they do have terrible eyesight but it means that that vibration the ability to pick up what's going on around them they are able to catch their food as ambush predators um they do mention that in the game so that's a good thing that they'll kind of wait for its food and then grab them uh it is important to know though that um these animals are at risk currently. Uh, they have a slower metabolism, so they can survive weeks without food. But usually, with amphibians, their skin is usually so so open to taking in any sort of water or air in order to respirate. They take in a lot of poison as well. well um, it's why it's why um, and and uh, I know at least in Ohio, uh, lots of different types of antibacterial uh, soap have been banned too because of the uh, God, I can't think of the chemical try. Uh, Oh, gosh, I hate uh, antibacterial. I'm going to look this up. Antibacterial soap tri. Triclosin. That's it. Tri triclosin. Yeah, um, that's it. 
Um, and that was banned by the uh, the FDA two years ago. And that's uh, and a lot of you know that is something that that uh, as it got into water supply because I remember learning about this years ago. As it got into water supply, um, it really really would damage amphibians because they're part of them having the the slimy body is that it, it's so uh, it's so much more porous, correct? Oh yeah. And so- um, we actually use um yeah we use amphibians as indicator species whenever there's something wrong with the water usually the frogs toads and newts and salamanders go yeah and it, 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 so because of that they take everything in mm-hmm. now as a bonus the real giant salamander actually lays about four to five hundred eggs and unlike most of what most people would think about this animal uh, they do actually protect their young so the males will actually gang together and eat any fish that tries to eat their babies so i think that's just a fun little fact about them don't come near us we're gonna eat you Rah. I mean, you very rarely see that from uh, fraternal figures in nature. Just, just trust me on this. Dads are usually where you're great. You're a great dad. I'm just most things in nature are. <laughs> Okie dokie. So our next one is actually one most people will probably be familiar with from their own lives. Um, the the largest animal really that lives in Japan. Um, it's going to be the uh, the brown bear, specifically the Usuri brown bear, um, also known to you as Ursurai. So brown bears are amongst the biggest bears still alive today, and the ones that are found in the game can also be found in Hokkaido in um, Japan. Uh, when we think of Japan as uh, this 100% modern nation with all the sparkling buildings and crazy vending machines, um, when this area was being established, when Hokkaido was being um, well, effectively modernized it was a wild west out there for them there were people settling in areas where native tribes were living there for centuries much like natives in america they weren't exactly given the best treatment their culture the ainu people worshipped bears that were up in that area now a bit about the brown bears is that honestly if you came face to face with one you'd probably start praying too on two legs, this animal stands three meters tall. Its finger, its um, its claws are bigger than my fingers, and its skull is over a foot long. This animal weighs almost, if not over, half a ton. This animal comes off as this terrifying, horrifying monster, but most of the species will actually go after things like berries, they'll go after fish. Um, very similar in the Pokemon game, they don't mention how it can rip a man to shreds, because while there are times that they will, very rarely these days, uh, they will typically um, go after that more nutritious diet of fish and berries, much like the Japanese people themselves. Uh, that is not stopping them from being terrifying, though. Uh, the ones that live in Russia uh, have taken out Siberian tigers before. That's crazy. You know, the top the top predator in that area, bears swiped it down and I feel like, ate I feel it. like that is a, a sci-fi original movie waiting to happen. Uh, it's, it's probably already happened if we're being honest with you. Oh, oh, now I gotta, now I gotta make that. In any case, uh, they also mention how Ursaring can snap trees and get the berries out. And that's true, bears will typically break off branches and they will mark their territory with claws. Um, what is cool to see, if you ever YouTube it, you can watch a bear climb a tree. It is fast it is so quick to watch a bear go up a tree you would not you would think it's a giant squirrel because it just goes right on up there uh, now i did say that it is rare that it does happen that um brown bears will attack people in this area but um it can uh, these animals have a very powerful sense of smell which means that they smell food in the area they will go after it they're also super protective there's a reason why we called 
very protected parents or very protected mothers, mama bears, because they will rip you to shreds. Um, specifically in the 19 te- in the 1910s, there was at least one major bear massacre where about seven to ten people were killed, and only and a dozen other people were injured. These animals are dangerous, uh, but it is really cool to see them put them in the game and not focus on them being the most terrifying thing on the planet. They already look like the most. I don't know. I mean, I, I would I would argue that especially in its anime's appearances. Ursaring has been very much uh, a violent uh, protagonist. Yeah, that is fair. In the anime, they show it off as being, "Hey, I'm a brown bear. Get out of my forest." But um, in the- before I hyper, yeah, I just I-, I really do not want to know what the world would be like if bears could shoot laser beams. I mean, I I, I do as a scientist, but as someone who likes living, I, I don't want to see that. <laughs> I don't want to know about it. Alright, so the next animal um, related to um, bears, actually, um, because of what they produce. So I want to talk a bit again about um, Beedrill, but mainly about Combi. So when I first talked about Beedrill, we talked about how it's related to a bee and how if it was that size bee, it would kill you. Um, so Beedrill, while it does have the name bee in English, it has much more in common in its looks and its, in its aggressive nature to a Japanese giant hornet. If you've never met a Japanese giant hornet, it's about two inches long, and the venom that it secretes, it injects so much into a single person when it fires off that it causes anaphylactic shock. It is terrifying to get stung by one of these animals. It is one of the worst experiences to go through if you're ever going out of that area. Now, what's cool about them for farmers is that they deal with a lot of pest animals. They get rid of them pretty easily. Uh, The downside is that one of their favorite meals is bees. Now, typically, what would happen is European honeybees would be brought in like they were brought into America. And they will go ahead and they will uh, they'll try and have that honey made there. Um, unfortunately for them, these hornets will actually go right into the nest. They'll leave a trail of pheromones. Within around four hours, they can wipe out about 30,000 bees between all that family group. It is That's nasty. It is. But the Japanese honeybee has found ways around this problem. So when that first scout jumps into the hive and tries um, going and eating and checking things out, bees will communicate, they will dance and signal when to jump. Think of it like a three count, one, two, three. When that countdown ends, they're going to swarm this thing and they're not going to sting it. They're going to actually hold on to it and they're just going to start vibrating. Uh, the vibration is actually going to cause this um, this heat to generate. The bee, the cone bee effectively, could generate heat of around 121 degrees Fahrenheit. The hornet can only stand up to 114 degrees Fahrenheit. Wait, they they bake it alive? They bake it alive. These animals will literally cook this thing so that way it will never leave the hive again and it will never lead to any danger. Combi, all it's known for in the game is collecting honey and I feel that's unfair when you Japanese animals have all these cool abilities. Like the European honeybee has no way of defending itself from that. No way whatsoever. And I think that's such a cool thing to not mention in a game. Like, come on. Like, you should just give it heat wave. Just give it fire blast or something because that is awesome. Heat wave combi. It's going to be a thing. You wait for it. I, I would definitely wait for it because it is never actually coming. Don't say that. It might happen. No, no. You know, before we talked about this next one, can I just say it is it is it is a it has a special place in my heart. 
Really? Yeah, I used to have a special edition plush of this one because I have that weird like uh, plush obsession. Or <laughs> and um, when my daughter was born, I had to sell off a good chunk of my collection because um, kids are expensive, and I was a single dad. Um, and I was really sad to sell it, but because I used to have this thing where I would always only play with things I owned as plush and this thing was so useless and they never made it good ever and I tried in gen 3 I tried in gen 4 and finally I was like okay well I tried for and then I tried in gen 5 and I go I'm done you are not useful in any generation oh that's a sad way to talk about Corsula but it's I mean it's so adorable and I and there are days where I go man I really wish but I also know that like because it was the, the version I had was so rare like I needed the money but it is one and I've talked to my daughter and I've gone man daddy used to have that I wish I wish I still did because it is it is adorable it is and actually you're not the only one that has a special place for for me I'm born and raised in Florida to me working with animals coral is one of the things I work the most when teaching at aquariums this is one of the coolest and most important animals that we have now if you don't know what exactly coral is I'm sure most people have heard of a coral reef they're related to jellyfish and sea anemones they're tiny little polyps that are covered in little stinging cells every time they die they leave down a calcium skeleton left behind and that will help over the generations to make these massive coral structures now they're also going to have algae that lives inside of their tissues that helps them to absorb sunlight and allows them to get more food for that it's a symbiotic relationship and definitely one of the coolest now i do uh, i like talking about this pokemon because it's one of the few where almost everything they throw in has something to do with the real world animal so let me take a look at our list here uh let's see oh in the recent generation they added its predator marini as the one thing that's going after it that's checked because the crown of thorn sea star goes after it they say how it's going to live in mostly warm water that's a check they are going to need a lot of sunlight uh, let's see what else. oh their horns can regrow yes these animals have the ability to regenerate and grow back over time um i will put a note on that one because in the game they mention how it can actually break off and grow in a few days yeah that's uh yeah, yeah, no, it takes months, if not years, for it to grow. Believe me, I've seen the experiments. So that's why we're saying, don't hurt the coral. Huh? Yeah, don't don't hurt coral. It's the one thing that, that drives me insane when people like try and mess with coral. Especially since if you touch it, it's going to sting you and it's going to hurt. Um, I will add that um, they will say that it... They asked in the game, like, oh, for some reason it can't live in polluted water. Like, unlike all the other fish Pokemon in the game. And that's definitely something Japan knows about. Because Japan released a statement saying that the coral reefs in their territory have shown a bleaching rate of over 70%. Yay! If you do not know what the... That is, that is no yay. <laughs> a, a bleaching event is what happens when the algae in the area in the area and in the animal becomes so sick that they eject from the body like well we can't live here anymore we're out of here and that's where you get that white dead looking coral it's not always dead but it doesn't have any of that coloration left in it now the coral has been used before um in jewelry and artwork uh in the anime they use it in jewelry and artwork uh, it's not hasn't been used in jewelry in japan but guess which ancient civilization used coral as jewelry All right, fine, it's Egypt. Yes, it, it, it is definitely Egypt. Now, with, with Egypt, uh, they just used it like those things before. But over time, 
Um, we found that other civilizations tried using it as well, and they were able to farm it not so much as extremely because they were such a small civilization. But in today's life, today's world, we um, we use so much of it, well, either by destroying it or by hurting it in some capacity. Uh, we always try and tell people to try and make sure you're keeping your garbage out of the ocean, make sure you're watching your CO2, because that buildup causes a lot of issues, especially for people like me who live in Florida and work with the ocean. So my best advice I can give is just keep your ears open whenever there's a news tweet about the reefs in the world. Um, they house a portal of the world's sea life, so it's best you should probably uh, probably keep an eye on it. Right, Matt? 100%. So uh, the last thing we did want to talk about, if this list seems a bit sparse to you guys, that's what we thought when we wrote the yeah, script. Yeah, you know, so here's the surprising thing, that when you look at the actual animals, so obviously most Pokemon either have one of two bases. Either there's a lot of mythos behind it, uh, or there's a real-world animal. Um, when you look at the real-world animals, there's not a lot of Japan-exclusive things out there. Um, but when you look at the mythos, as we'll see in the next episode, um, there's like an overbearing amount. <laughs> oh my lord, yes. Japan has focused a lot on their culture in these games, not so much on their natural um, uh, offerings, which I think is a little uh, sad because, I mean, you know, we're talking about the Japanese macaque is one of the most interesting animals. Oh, yeah. Would make an amazing addition. I mean, we have... Oh, maybe we could finally have a really good legal water fighting type that I could use in tournaments. Oh, that'd be cool. That would be a good one. That would be awesome yeah. to get a chance to have. I oh, mean, man. being an island, they're in a unique situation where they have a lot of animals that live out there. And they have, like, those specialized features. Like, they don't have any other animals aside from the ones we've just shown that are uniquely specific to their history. I mean, you have the Hokkaido wolf and, and lichen rock. about that a little which, bit before, too. Yeah, the Hokkaido wolf is, but I mean, we also, you know, that's... We got wolves. We, we all got wolves. Everyone but there are wolves. things that Japan does have specifically that no one else does that we we were kind of curious to why they weren't in the game. Even if you're going to base it off some of the root vegetables, that would be still great. I would love to fight one of the root Pokemon, the grass type. Make yeah. it a grass ground type. It'd be a turnip grass ground type. Hey, I'd fight it. I'd fight with it on my team. I don't mind. Everyone makes fun of, like, food Pokemon. But no, if it's an actual plant, why are you going to make fun of the plant that you eat? No, it, it is definitely one of those weird things about Pokemon where they just didn't add enough of their own natural life. Fantasy and lore, oh, by the bucket load. Just, just. Yeah, and, and we're, we're having trouble trimming down the next episode. Oh, yeah. Right, so, on that note, we'll go ahead and wrap things up. Alrighty, guys. So, thanks for listening. As always, I do have one special announcement for this episode. Um, so, for those of you who are in the Tampa Bay, Florida area, um, me, Veteran Lucas, I'm actually going to be coming over to MetroCon. It's where I actually got my start teaching about gaming science, and I'll be doing one panel on Monster Hunter and one panel on Pokemon. You can find it if you're looking it up. It's pretty easy to find the stuff that says, oh, the science of Pokemon or monster biology. <laughs> I'll be the one doing that. Um, the professor has to go ahead and run off, so I'll be taking over the rest of the ending from here. Um, I want to make sure that you guys know that the best way to reach us is social media. I love 
hearing from you guys. I've heard from people already. I had one person already email us and talk about how we can improve one of our episodes. Sound design, I appreciate that stuff. I love it when you come tell us this sort of thing so we can try and work and make this better for you. We do this as a hobby. We do it for fun. We want to make sure that you guys have a great time listening to us, and we want to make sure that we can do the best we can to give you that experience. Um, of course, we have our Twitter account at Pokemon Science. Of course, we you can subscribe to us on Podbean and iTunes. Uh, truth be told, Podbean, not as many people subscribing on that, so we might switch to another platform in the future, uh, but we're definitely going to be staying on iTunes or, of course, on SoundCloud as well, where we directly link from. Uh, so please give us uh, five-star reviews if you liked us. Give us one-star review if you didn't. Give us why. We want to hear from you guys, and I love getting to hear from you guys with this stuff. So, again, we also have the PokeScience at Yahoo.com. Um, we, require, we will reply as quickly as we can, although Facebook is definitely the fastest way to reach us. Um, I want to make sure that you guys know that we also have the greatest amount of respect for you guys listening to us like this. We know there are tons of other Pokemon podcasts out there, YouTube channels, and they're all great in their own way. But we like giving our own take on this. So the next steps we're doing, everyone's done one on Yokai's. But we definitely want to do our own take on it. So, again, Poke Science page on Facebook. Uh, we also have the Science of Pokemon group. Uh, we keep driving this home because we love you. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of your July. We'll see you guys in a few weeks. Peace!